0: Thank you, Lorna. That um, that song. You're probably sitting there going, "Well, that's not much of a celebration song. We got balloons and stuff." And you start off with a lead out with a song like that. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever been without hope? I don't mean sad because what you hoped to receive as a Christmas present didn't quite pan out the way you wanted it to, or the raise you hoped for didn't come in. I mean, straight up without hope. Have you you ever been there in your life? I have, a few times. I remember one time when I was 16. It was the beginning of the summer between my junior and senior year in high school. I was out messing around with my friends and, I came home to my dad's house that afternoon. It wasn't late night. It was kind of middle of the afternoon. And there were all these trash bags out on the front porch, like not just one or two with the you forgot to take out the trash message, but like it was about a dozen trash bags, big black trash bags on the porch. And I said to my dad's girlfriend who lived with us at the time, I said, man, the trash man is going to be busy tomorrow. And she says, oh, no, that's your stuff. Your dad and I thought it would be best if you moved out was like wow, right there, hopeless. I felt like that picture had nothing. So I spent the next four to six months bouncing around, basically homeless. I spent a lot of time sleeping in my truck. I stayed at friends' houses from time to time. And one day, my mom runs into me at a gas station, middle of the day, and she says, "Hey, we've been looking for you." I said, "Yeah." She says, "Yeah." I said the schools called you haven't been in a while. I said, "Yeah." Uh, she said, How's your dad? I said, I don't know. He kicked me out. And I told her that story, and she said, Why didn't you come to my house? I said, You know, it just seemed to me that everyone had moved on, and so that's what I was doing. And uh, she brought me home to her house. A little bit of hope, a little bit of goodness happening. She got me back in school. My stepfather uh, knew some people, and uh, I'd missed like. The first three and a half months of school and so they made a deal I start with zeros and whatever I end up with if it's enough I graduate if it's not I have to hit summer school so I get back in school there's there's a little bit more of a glimmer of hope now they laid down some pretty stiff rules some house rules if you will and after being a mature out on my own for six months 16 year old I tried my best to follow them it wasn't always easy one particular evening, a few months into this, I was working on a project at school, a legitimate project with teachers and, you know, people like that, not a project. You teenagers know what I'm talking about, okay? This was legit. I was at the school working on a project, and I realized that I was going to be late getting home, and this was before cell phones and texting. They had a thing called a home phone, all right? And I used the school phone, had the teacher dial out for me, and and uh, because there was a code he had to use. And so I call home and I said, hey, I'm going to be late. I even put the teacher on the phone. I was like, Mr. Cromer, you've got to talk to my mom because she's not going to believe me. I was like, you have, you know, so he's on the phone. He's with me. Da, da, da. This is what we're doing. Okay. Everything is good. Um, and so I get home and I'm thinking, man, everything's legit. And I get home. It's about 45 minutes past the curfew that I was supposed to be home. And I pull up to the house. And at the side of the house, I see all these black trash bags. And I was like, losing hope again. I'm looking at these trash bags. I'm sitting in my truck. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I called, you know? (laughs) They said it was okay. And I can't even explain the emotions that I felt. And just the way that I was physically sick thinking about these things that, you know, oh, on the phone, you were like, it's no big deal. And I show up and there's these trash bags with my stuff. And I go inside to confirm what I already knew, which was that living there was going to be hopeless at this point. And I said to my mom, I said, what's going on? She says, I don't know what you're talking about. I was like, don't do this. Just you put all my stuff outside. I called you. You talked to Mr. Cromer. You said it was OK. She says, I still don't know what you're talking about. And my stepdad starts laughing. And I said, I don't think this is very funny. I'm thinking, what a jerk. <laughs> Here I am. I'm about to be homeless twice in the same year. This guy's laughing at me. <laughs> I was frustrated. Finally, he stops laughing long enough to explain to my mother and I that he had cleaned out the shed that afternoon. <laughs> All those trash bags he set by the house because he was going to take them to the landfill that weekend. <laughs> oh. I thought it was my stuff, but this time it really was trash. And I I think that was probably one of the best nights of sleep I'd had in a long time because I went to bed with hope. I was at a place where I thought, man, it doesn't get any drier than this desert. The longest walk was from my truck to the front step, and from the front step into the living room for them to say, for it just to end with, it really is trash. And it did make for a good story. And since then... I've faced many hopeless situations. Uh, From Hurricane Andrew, uh, there was a massive tornado in Kissimmee when I was in college that just left a trail of hopelessness. Uh, situations where my friends over the years have taken their own lives. Car wrecks that that have taken people I love. I've even seen hopelessness in other countries on mission trips and serving in other situations. Uh, But I've never been in a valley like the one we had a picture of. I've never been in a valley surrounded by bleached out dry bones all alone. You you might know this as them bones. You can go ahead and hum a few bars. Them bones, them bones, them. Them bones, them bones, them. There we go. Now you're getting it. Okay. So you know where I'm headed with this. That old song is more than just a very basic anatomy lesson. Okay, Uh, it's more than, you know, you got to know the thigh bone is connected to the knee bone and and all that. That song talks about those dry bones and it talks about, I love this, those jumping bones, because those bones get moving in that song. And it sounds a lot like some kind of a spooky little song that skeletons would sing in a haunted house or something. And people wonder why that seems so fitting for Halloween or something like it would include the refrain. Now hear the word. Of the Lord. So the reason is this: that song is based on a biblical passage that I want to talk about today. Uh, it's it, and it's, it's dead serious. It is not comical at all. It was Ezekiel, the prophet, who told of God granting him a vision by the Spirit, setting him down in the middle of the valley of dry bones, and it was full of bones. He says, "We're going to look at Ezekiel chapter thirty-seven. You can go ahead and turn there, and let's see what Ezekiel saw in that valley." And what them bones really signify. And as you're turning there, I want to go ahead and pray. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to come here and see how you offer hope. Not only to see that you offer us hope, but that we can leave here today celebrating the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray as, as we look into your word that you will open our hearts, that you will fill us with hope. That we will know who you are. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. The significance of dry bones is that they've been there a long time. These are bones of the long dead, bleached white in the sun. The Lord asks Ezekiel an intriguing question. Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel, maybe he's playing it safe, but he answers, O oh Lord God, you know. Many things are impossible with man, but not with God. And with, with man, the answer is no, but with God, the answer will be yes. And this is a principle that every one of us would do well to remember during life's difficulties and in times when tough decisions must be made and in times when you feel like that's your life. Ezekiel is told to prophesy over these bones. He's in a valley. It's just bones. And God tells him to prophesy over these bones. And he says, Encouraging these bones to hear the word of the Lord. But what is the significance of all this? Is the Lord just trying to, to scare Ezekiel a little bit? Is he trying to just stir him up? I don't think so. Because there's a reason for all these things. And it goes beyond merely teaching about God's power to raise the dead. As well, though, his power to do, to do so is used to illustrate the point being made. Verse 4. Again, he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin and put breath in you that you may come alive and you will know that I am the Lord. You know, it was the breath of God by which man became a living soul, reflecting the image of God at creation back in Genesis. And it was the breath of God which inspired men to prophesy and to write the words which we now have as our scripture. You can see those in Second Timothy 3.16 and, and in Peter, 2 Peter 1, uh, verse 20. But right here, God promises to put the breath of life back into these long dead bones. Imagine that for a moment. Ezekiel's amazement about being placed in, in such a gruesome valley, surrounded by the spectacle of death. And now he now comes the promise of life from the source of life himself. And then as Ezekiel prophesies over these bones, they begin to rattle. At that point, if I were Ezekiel, I don't know if I'd be excited or scared more. Because he is a prophet of the Lord. He knows that God can do all these amazing things. And he just prophesied about it. And now it's starting to happen. The bones begin to rattle as they come back together. The Bible says each bone to its bone. They, They came back the way they were supposed to. It wasn't some, you know, just... Random bones that were closest came together and made a skeleton that didn't exist. It's, they went back bone to bone. Following this, sinew and flesh reform over the bones. And then the breath of God come from four directions and those long dead live again. Marvelous and wonderful, but still, what does all these jumping bones mean? It is still a vision. And here's what it breaks down. First off, it's about physical Israel. Verse 11, then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Ezekiel was a captive with the rest of his people, Israel. They were in Babylon. Israel and Judah had been completely destroyed, cities torn down, and strangers brought in from foreign lands to populate the small towns among the ruins of the cities. And even the mighty temple that Solomon had built lay in ruins. It was all gone, everything. that that was supposed to be a reflection of God, the nation of Israel, everything was hopeless. Israel had been crushed beyond repair, and everyone knew it. You feel like Israel sometimes? Crushed beyond repair? And people know it. Everybody knew it. The Israelites knew it. The Babylonians knew it. The strangers, later known as the Samaritans, even knew it. The Egyptians knew it. And everyone else in the ancient world knew that Israel was gone for good, hopeless. But through this vision of dry bones, God informs Ezekiel and through him, the captive nation of Israel, that God can and will restore life even to long dead bones. That glimmer of hope. That glimmer of hope. There it is. Verse 12 says, therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. The grave here for Israel is captivity. What's your grave? What binds you? What holds you captive? What separates you from God right now? What is it that you need to be brought up out of? Here's the thing. God's telling Ezekiel, Israel will again be a nation. Oh, hope restored. Hope restored. God had made a promise to Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, Moses, David and others that through Israel, the Messiah would come. And he made a promise to us that the Messiah that are through the Messiah, that our sins would be forgiven. He'd not yet come in Ezekiel's day. So for God's promise not to fail, God would restore the dead nation back to life. The Lord mentions some interesting specifics about this restoration, about this restored nation to come. He specifies that it will be restored on the same territory as it had occupied previously. That's verse 21. Uh, and in verse 22, he specifies that it will no longer be two nations, but one. You see, during Rehoboam's reign, the nation had split. He had north Israel and south Judah. It was foretold here that when Israel would be restored, it would again, would again be one nation. And it was also thought that idolatry had been such a recurring problem in the past. The Lord says in verse 23 that it will not be so in the future, and it wasn't. Never again did Israel as a whole nation succumb to idol worship. Verse 24, transition us to talk about the spiritual Israel. My servant David will be king over them, and they will have one shepherd. And they will walk in my ordinances and keep my statues and observe them. This passage reminds us of many messianic prophecies concerning God's spiritual kingdom to be established by the one to come through David. You see, the divinic line will continue beyond the captivity. It's not surprising that since physical Israel was a type or a shadow of the spiritual kingdom of Christ, that his rule would be paralleled with David's, and that the church of spiritual Zion, or excuse me, or spiritual Zion would be a parallel with the old Zion. And here's what I'm getting at: Jesus is King over spiritual Israel. That's the church, and he has been since its beginning. And you can see these references in Mark nine one, in John eighteen thirty six, even in Acts chapter two. The Lord has also promised Ezekiel, "I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it will be an everlasting covenant." And I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. That's Ezekiel 37, verse 26. I want to share some things with you about that verse. God promised Ezekiel that he will make a new everlasting covenant, a covenant of peace with new Israel. And he has done this through his son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 8, 6 uh, tells us about that. Uh, Jesus himself has become our peace. Where enmity once existed, reconciliation between man and God is made possible on the basis of the blood which ratified this new covenant. Do you see it? What started out, what looks at this is a simple prophecy for people in the Old Testament was something that comes full circle for us in the New Testament. The Lord promised to place and multiply them. And this reminds us of our spiritual blessings in Christ, Ephesians 1 3, and how God works with us to provide the increase. He provides the increase. You know, 1 Corinthians 3.6, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's the question we need to ask. When your situation is like this and God is for you, who can be against you? The Lord promises to set his sanctuary in their midst forever. We need to recall how, how Jesus had told the woman of Samaria that the hour had arrived for God to remove his sanctuary from Jerusalem and into the hearts of all men and all women who will worship him in spirit and in truth. This is also brought about, brought out when Paul refers to both the local church collectively and and, uh, and as well as the individual disciples in Corinthians as the temple of God. These things are being brought out. They're being pointed out to us in Scripture. Let me tell you, them bones are alive and well. And the Lord has taken something that was spiritually dead in sin and through the power of Jesus' blood has given both life and hope. Such things are not impossible with God, brothers and sisters. And he continues to take what is spiritually dead and breathe life into us. Now, we're going to make a huge transition because we started out with them bones that were dead. And we're moving right into the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and why it's something to celebrate. Will you celebrate with me? Celebrating, huh? Go ahead and have a seat. There's, there's more to come. Uh, Mr. W. Aldridge of Multnomah University once wrote, I am not a connoisseur of great art, but from time to time, a painting or a picture will really speak a clear, strong message to me. Um, some time ago, he saw a picture of an old, burned-out mountain shack, and all that remained was the chimney, just the charred debris of what had been that family's sole possession of a home. And in front of this destroyed home stood an old grandfatherly looking man, dressed only in his underclothes, with a small boy, clutching a pair of patched overalls. It was evident that the child was crying in the picture, but beneath the picture were these words, which the artist felt the old man was speaking to the boy. They were simple words, yet they presented a profound theology and a profound philosophy of life. And the words were very simple. Hush, child. God ain't dead. You can say amen. Yeah. God ain't dead. Listen, that vivid picture, that burned out mountain shack, that old man, the weeping child and those words, God ain't dead. Keep returning to my mind. You know, instead of it being a reminder of the despair of life, of those bones, if you will, it's come to be a reminder of hope. I don't know about you, but I need reminders of hope. I need balloons in my life. I need reminders of hope. And right now, if you reach under your chair, there should be a reminder of hope. Go ahead. Reach under. Probably not in the very front row because nobody ever sits there. But and it should be a bouncy ball with a smiley face on it. That's, that's your reminder of hope. There, there's enough for everybody. They may have come off, but, hey, do not throw them, all right? You put that in your pocket. If you didn't get one, you can help me clean the auditorium and look under all the chairs after <laughs> But what's a party without party favors, all right? I wanted to give you a reminder of hope. And so you put that on your desk. Don't put it on the dash of your car because it'll just kind of roll all over the place and get stuck in the defroster or whatever, but put that somewhere so that you have that reminder of hope. And when your people at work go, why do you have a blue bouncy ball on your desk and you just tell them that's my reminder of hope and it's there whenever you need it. We need those reminders. You know, instead of, of, of remembering... the bones and the dryness, we need those reminders of hope. In the midst of all of life's troubles and failures, I need mental pictures to remind me that all is not lost. As long as God is alive and in control of this world, and He is, and that's hope, that's worth celebrating. That Knowing that God is alive and in control of His world, man, I want to look at this a little bit. So real quickly, in Luke chapter 24, Jesus is about to leave his disciples before he goes into heaven. I just want to read these words to you, starting in verse 44. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds. I love that. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Verse 50. He led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them... He parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. That is hope. Returning. When you leave here, leave here with great joy, knowing that the God we worship is in control, knowing that we don't have to fear despair, but we have hope. And until we understand What it is to have no hope. We can't truly celebrate the hope we have in Christ. And I don't really know how you feel. Maybe sometimes you feel like the nation of Israel. Like you're dried up and dead. Forgotten. Just bleach white bones going through life. Let him renew you with a promise of hope. Let him strengthen your flesh and your spirit. Maybe you're like that house that I described in the picture just burned down and burned out nothing really left but but the chimney it's all you can do to get through each day and at the end of each day you find yourself just clutching to something like that little kid just one little piece of whatever for comfort it's probably something besides jesus i want to tell you today hush child our god ain't dead he is fully alive and he is well and he has given us hope And that, my friends, is something we're celebrating. (laughs) Welcome to my party. Huh? Now, now we're celebrating. All right. Did you feel that? That moment. Everybody in here was like, whoa, walk out with that. Walk out with that moment celebrate the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Not just for a moment, because I threw confetti at you. It looks good on you, by the way. Now you know when I said earlier, you can help me clean up the auditorium. You thought you were just going to be finding bouncy balls. (laughs) Listen, I'm here to tell you, our God ain't dead. He is so alive. And he's given us hope. He's given us something to celebrate. I'm going to pray. We've got some songs to sing. And and during that time, if you have a decision to make, just meet me up front. If you want prayer, our elders are here. If you want baptism, it's open, it's ready. We're going to make this happen. But my prayer is that you don't only leave here with hope, but that you leave here different than you came today because of God's word. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you. I thank you that we can have fun just celebrating with one another. Because the reality is there's so much as Christians that we can celebrate. Because we live a victorious life. Your, your son is, is right now preparing a place for us. And all we have to do is, is live like we believe it. And so I pray as, as we continue to worship, as we sing. Um, Lord, if, if your word has struck, struck a chord with anyone today, that they would respond accordingly. And not because we have balloons and bouncy balls and confetti, but because your word is truth and your truth endures forever. And I pray that we will be a shining example of your truth in our community and in our world. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand and sing with us?